Mother's Day, everybody. Thank you for joining us at Refuge this morning. If you are a child whose mother is with you right now, I'd like you to take a moment, get up, go give her a big hug and a big kiss and say happy Mother's Day to your mom. If you're not with your mother or if you're older, maybe now would be a good time. If you have not yet texted or your mother, you may want to text her really quickly and say happy Mother's Day. Take a moment and be thankful. I am so thankful for my mother. I know you all are so thankful for your mothers as well. Mother's Day, how can somebody not be thankful? You know, if you're thankful only for the fact that they chose to give life to you, be thankful for that. So we have so much to be thankful for from our mothers. And so I appreciate my mother and my mother-in-law very much. They are a great blessing in my life. And uh, in true mother fashion today, I got to play the keyboard and then come over and speak as well. And we were making jokes about it because usually my husband will get up and introduce me and I at least get a couple second, you know, moment to breathe. And uh, when he said, well, do you want to just go up there yourself? I said, sure. You know, what's the big deal? I'm a mom. You're a mom. You can do anything, right? You can do everything at the same time. So we are being mothers today and I am being a mother up here as well. It is an honor that I get to speak on Mother's Day. I always look forward to it. And uh, this year, this year was a little bit different for me. So usually when God begins to lay a message on my heart for Mother's Day, it'll be something small. It'll start really small as a thought or a feeling or an idea. And then God gradually begins to kind of build that thought inside of me over time. But this year was different. This year is different. Anybody know that this year is a little bit different? Have you realized something's not the same? But throughout this entire pandemic, you know, everybody's reacted to it kind of different. For me, personally, there's just been a stillness in my spirit. It's hard to explain. There's no, I, I haven't had a moment of fear or frustration, which I do believe if you live in fear, you need more of the peace of God. Because God's peace will cover everything. And so there hasn't been fear in my heart. There hasn't been frustration even or turmoil. It's just been still. Like eerily still. Just this Complete nothingness. <laughs> and through prayer, I came to understand that this was a stillness that God was bringing to me. And it was a gift from God that I needed to embrace. Because I'm not naturally a still person. I have a very choleric and sanguine personality. So I get stuff done and I like people. And when you don't have people, you know, that's really hard. And stillness, you know, I can't get as much done as I would want to get done. So it's not something that comes easy to me. Yet here in this stillness, I began to ask God what he would have me to speak on Mother's Day. And because uh, I got nothing. You know, that's where I was. I was like, yeah, Lord, um, you haven't done anything like you normally do this year. So here I am sitting here just in this stillness. Lord, speak to me. And everything is quiet. And uh, so one day in prayer, I literally, I'm sitting there. I, rem I can remember the exact spot. I'm just sitting there like, okay, God, you know, we've, I've prayed. I've talked to you this morning. I, I really do need something to speak. You know, it would be good. And into my spirit, I heard God whisper, Bathsheba. And I thought, <clears throat> my first reaction is, um, Lord, you do know she wasn't really a shining example of moral integrity and motherhood, right? Then I was quickly chastised and reminded that I truly knew nothing about her. You see, it's easy to make snap judgments about people based on sin that we see around them. And in this case, that's exactly what I had done. So I began to study. And if you're of the female gender, you've probably, as a child or at some point, 
pretended that you were a princess and that you were marrying the prince or the king in your life. Little girls do that. If you're a little girl, if you're on Facebook, if you're watching, if you're a little girl, did you ever do that? Did you ever imagine yourself to be married to the prince or the king? Anybody? Feel free to comment and let me know. But I know that I did. And little girls do that. And if you grew up knowing the Bible and Bible stories, you probably imagined yourself as one of the queens in the Bible. Usually Queen Esther. We all imagine how nice. That's actually another story, and I think I spoke on that before. But we imagine this idea of Queen Esther that's very different from what it actually was, this romanticized version. Um, you know, but the king chooses you out of all these women, and women like to be chosen anyway. So if you don't know, husbands, your wives like to be pursued and chosen by you every day. It never stops, actually. So sometimes, you know, I still run around just to see if I'll get my husband's attention, if he'll still chase me. Because women like to be pursued. It's part of our nature. So anyway, she was chosen. You know, and most will pretend that they were princesses. It's the things that dreams are made of. So perhaps you pretended to be Queen Esther. Or maybe even Bathsheba. But probably not. You know, no one really wanted to be Bathsheba. Even though she became a queen. Because, you know, she was an adulteress, right? But was she? Was she really? In truth, we know very little about Bathsheba. What we do know is that her grandfather, father, and husband were all a part of King David's inner circle. Her grandfather was an advisor to the king, and her father and her husband were a part of David's elite circle of 30 soldiers called his mighty men. These were men that had been with him for a very long time, and men that had been more than willing to lay down their lives for him. They were trustworthy, faithful, and valiant men who did incredible feats. You can read about the feats that these mighty men did. Both her father and her husband were a part of these elite 30 men. But it doesn't appear that David even knew who Bathsheba was when he saw her bathing. Now, this story, I'm going to try and make it as clean as I can for the children listening. But uh, it does involve some things that David should not have been doing. She was taking a ritual cleansing bath on top of her roof. It was required at that time. She was doing what she was supposed to be doing. While David was at home when other people were out in a battle doing nothing. The Bible says he actually had woken up from a nap. He was not doing what he should have been doing. And David saw Bathsheba. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'm going to skip a little bit, so try and stay with me, projection team, just to make it a little bit easier. But it says, in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. See, he wasn't doing what he should have been doing. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, so he's taking a nap, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. It says he sent once someone to find out who she was. So he did not know who she was by sight. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she had come to the palace, he slept with her. Move on to verse 5. It says, later, when Bathsheba discovered she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Now David called for Bathsheba, and she came. And people will say, see, she sent, she came. And yes, in our Western culture where women have rights and we have freedom to choose, we perhaps understand the text in this manner. 
But let's rewind for a moment. We're not talking about Western culture here. This is ancient Jewish culture. This is a time when women had very little value. So much so that when Jesus enters the scene and values women, it's astounding to those around him. God has always valued women. It was the sin of society that did not. So in this culture, women were traded. They were rewarded for deeds. David received a few of his wives just because he did mighty acts. They were just given away. They were devalued. I believe that's part of the reason why the men had so many wives in this time. It wasn't God's plan for them. When God created Adam and Eve, he didn't give Adam three wives and say, here, go multiply and replenish the earth. He gave him one. But women had become so little value because they bought into the system of the world. See, the world, depending on the culture that you're in, the world's going to have a lot of value systems that aren't of God. And we think, oh, my goodness, they had numerous wives. How crazy. No, that was just a value system of the world around them. But that wasn't the way that God intended it for it to be. So God never had that plan. God actually called Eve the mother of all living and put great, tremendous value on her. But culture and sin over time eroded this value. So here, moving forward, we have Bathsheba. And she's being summoned like a servant. Come here. She has no voice at all in the matter. When you think about it, it actually goes further. Her grandfather was an advisor to the king. Her father and her husband served the king as their mighty men. They all belonged to this man. When the Israelites originally asked for a king, the priest, or the, not the priest, the prophet warned them. He said, don't ask for a king because he's going to rule over you and he's going to take your children and he's going to take your grandchildren. But they still wanted that king. Once again, not God's original plan. So David is now the king, and he has power over everything. And her husband, her father, and her grandfather, she would have shamed every person around her by not coming and possibly been put to death. She did not have a choice in walking into that palace. He had the power to destroy her and all of them in one spoken word. And God saw. Later she writes to David and lets him know that she's pregnant. And David attempts to cover his sin, but when he fails at his first attempt, he commits a second-handed murder of Uriah by ordering him to be placed into the heat of the battle. Basically, they put him up there, and then the rest of the army withdrew, so he had no choice but to die. And the sin that David has now committed becomes another sin. So 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 26 says, When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. Now, we think a lot, wow, look, she got to become a queen. But when you look further into the story that the prophet tells in a moment, you understand that, no, I don't think that it was just great and grand that she goes from being a wife that's cherished and loved by one man to being a wife of a man who has tons of wives and concubines. Not really the greatest situation. So when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but it says the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Notice it does not say that the Lord was displeased with Bathsheba. It only says that the Lord was displeased with what David had done. God then sends his prophet Nathan to David to confront David about his sin. I find this very interesting. You see, David 
He was called a man after God's own heart. I really, I always struggled with that idea. How could David be a man after God's own heart? He waged wars. He, you know, he did sin, obviously, like this. But we find what made David so valuable to God in these next couple verses. Because God sends a prophet Nathan to David to confront David about his sin. Because it appears that even David, this great man after God's own heart, as the Bible calls him, he did not realize that he was the one that had sinned. Like Pastor preached about last week with the siren, the word of God that comes through the man of God will often wake us up to our sin when we don't even realize that that is something that we're doing that's wrong. So David had gotten to a place where he didn't realize what he had done as sin, and you can see this in the story, because when Nathan confronts him, uh, he goes on, let's move on to the story. Actually, I don't have the story, sorry. I'm telling the story, not reading it. I thought I was reading it. Um, But David, Nathan tells a story about sin by telling a parable of a rich man who had many sheep. And this rich man stole the only beloved lamb of a poor family and ate it for dinner. The guilt was so clearly not the poor family's, but that of the rich man who stole the sheep. David, when Nathan tells him the story, he's so mad. He's boiling with anger. Talk about the beam that's in his eye. He can't see that this is him. He's so enraged. He's like, he stole the only lamb that this poor family had when he was rich, and he ate it. And Nathan looks at him, and he makes a powerful driving home point, and he simply says, you are that man. And you see, Bathsheba is never blamed in Scripture or called a sinner. She's simply part of a painful story that God saw. Bathsheba gives birth to a newborn son, and God renders judgment on David, and that baby dies. You see, when Nathan told David that he was that man, his immediate response was repentance. And that is what made David a man after God's own heart. Because when he saw that he had sinned, he immediately repented and felt. That's where so many of the Psalms come from. Cleanse me, wash me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. All those psalms that talk about the cleansing and the purification, David realized that he had sinned and he was quick to repent. But when we go back to Bathsheba, she gives birth to this newborn son and God renders judgment on David for his sin. Because even if we repent, there's still some things that are going to follow us from what we've done previously. So that baby that Bathsheba gives birth to, that baby dies. And from all that we can see, this was Bathsheba's first child. First she is violated. Then her husband is killed. And now her only child is taken from her in judgment of someone else's sin. Yet nowhere do we see a record of bitterness within her. So take a moment to imagine the pain of her life so far. It is not fair. It is not right. And it is not okay. But God saw. Uh, Sister Cole Thorpe is a lady who's speaking and writing I love. And she has a saying that God writes long stories. And I always think about that because it's so true. Because when we're stuck, if she looks at her situation right now in this moment, it looks pretty pitiful. Pretty awful. But God was writing a very long story. And when we're stuck in a moment of the story, we wonder about this God that Bathsheba serves. 
Because we want life to be beautiful, and we want it to be rosy, and we want it to be just and easy. And God is writing a story of a lineage that will one day, he will one day be born through in the form of a human being and die a bloody death to redeem the world from sin. His story was so much bigger than what she was facing in that moment. And we often don't have the perception or the knowledge to understand what God is doing. We see just this moment, and we can become so bitter and frustrated that God is doing what he is doing. Why is God doing this to me? Why? Why would God be letting this happen to me when God is writing a very long story of our life? So as I dug deeper into this story, I had more questions. The burning one on my mind being, why did Solomon become a king? So traditionally, the eldest son would be the next king in line to the throne. Solomon was at least the fifth-born son, at least. And there were other sons ahead of him that were still living. So 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24 says, Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and slept with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and David named him Solomon. The Bible then records a very powerful statement, and it says, The Lord loved him. Or the Lord loved the child, depending on which version. And sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah because the Lord loved him. So the Bible says that this child, this child born after sin, this child born into a dysfunctional situation, this child was loved by God. This child was named by the same prophet that had pronounced sin and death upon the previous fruit of the union. Nathan came to David after his sin and said, your child is going to die. And then Nathan comes to David again and says, this child is loved by God. Because what is birthed after repentance is powerful. Sin does not write your story. God writes our story. And when we are, when we are quick to repent of the things in our lives that God points out as sin, he loves what comes after so God always has a plan in everything. Bathsheba would then go on to Mother Solomon and three other boys. Solomon was chosen by God to not only become king, but to build the temple that David had dreamed of building unto the Lord. And it would be through Solomon's lineage that Jesus would come. And God saw. That is the power of repentance. But in all this, I wonder at Bathsheba. You see... God uses the bad things of life and the poor choices we make to weave his plan and our destiny. We hear so much about Solomon through the scripture, but so little of Bathsheba. She was the silent party in all of this. She suffered. She probably cried many tears. And then she became the mother of the greatest king Israel would ever know. The favor of God rested upon her. You see her numerous times in scripture with or surrounding accounts of Nathan the prophet. It seems that where God was speaking and working, she was there. I find that so interesting because, you know, God uses sinful situations. He doesn't plan them, but he uses them in our lives. And this woman whose story was not what any of us would desire... You know, no one would want their life marred like hers was marred. Yet she was the one ultimately chosen by God to raise the greatest king in Israel's history. 
it's been passed down through Jewish tradition that the 31st proverb about the virtuous woman was, not, was written by Solomon, and it was written about his mother, Bathsheba. She must have truly been a great woman. So God saw this great woman whose life, bad things had happened to her. And he took the character that he was building in her and the things that he was doing in her and allowed her to rear up the wisest king that would ever rule Israel. It was the golden age of Israel's time when Solomon was king. God used David's sin to put Bathsheba into a place of power, to rule, to educate, and to be an influence in the life of the future of his nation. Would Solomon have been Solomon without the influence of Bathsheba? No, he would not. You, you look at the other children of David. Children are such a reflection of their mothers. Their fathers, obviously, too. But the story of David, there's different, there's different characteristics of God that are displayed through both a mother and through a father. And I always, I think it's so interesting because until you become a mother, I don't think you can fully understand the love of God. A mother's love is probably the closest thing to the love of God that anyone will ever experience. That love that's just like, no matter what you do, I love you. And if you're a mother and you maybe are away from God right now and you feel like, oh, I can't come back. Imagine what you would feel like if your child wanted to come back. You're going to have open arms, just like the, the Bible tells the story of the prodigal son to the father running back home. But that mother's love is such a deep love. It's such a strong love. The moment they're born, you just sit there like, how could I have loved somebody this much? It happens immediately. You know, it's just an, immediately after they're born like this overwhelming, oh, my word. And you're responsible for this person. It's the deepest kind of love, the kind of love that would willingly lay down your life in any moment for your child. And I know that fathers experience that too, so I'm not by any means belittling the love of a father. But there's something so strong about the love of a mother. And the characteristics of God, some are displayed through the mother and some are displayed through the father. Because God is this perfect balance. I once heard um, it talked about all the personality types. And when you study Jesus, you find a perfect blend of every single personality type in Scripture. Because he is the epitome of the perfection. And so, you know, we display different characteristics of God. But without that influence of Bathsheba, she would not, he would not have become the man that he became. When Solomon does become king, he's a younger man, but he already possesses enough wisdom that when God, when he pleases God and God asks what he wants from him, God tells him, you can have anything you want. And Solomon, he chooses wisdom and knowledge to lead the people. He did not get this wisdom alone. He had a mother who had suffered deeply and was obviously a woman of deep character and conviction. She had not allowed sin or pain or bitterness to define her. And she raised up a king. Years later, other women who came into his life caused Solomon's heart to go astray. And once again, the power of a woman and the influence was proved. But going back to Bathsheba, I love the line that she had not allowed sin or pain or bitterness to define her. Never one time 
Do you read about her being angry at God? Yelling at God, screaming, being frustrated with her lot in life, even though so many things had happened to her. She grew character in the midst of that. Now, we made jokes about, you know, this pandemic. And if you're a mother during this time, it has been a very hard season. And all the mothers are saying, amen, amen. And, you know, it's, there was one morning particularly where I was just talking to God, and I'm like, Lord, <laughs> you know, this is, this is tough. This is hard. This is, you know, I really would like to see people. People are good. Um, and I just felt so much God impress on me that we get frustrated when we face things that are uncomfortable. We're facing the pandemic. We're facing this uncomfortable newness and having our kids at home all the time. And parents are getting frustrated and, and short and irritated. And by a natural standpoint, yes, it's, it can be hard. But on the flip side, when you look at the spiritual, God is developing within us things if we will allow him to. His fruit is only developed in us when we allow him to push at us and to grow us. And so every time my kids drove me to that brink, from then on, I just kept thinking, oh, God, you are developing such lovely fruit in me right now, <laughs> such lovely fruit in me, because it really is our response to what's going on that determines who we're going to become. Will we be angry? Will we be frustrated? Will we start just yelling and flying off the handle? Or are we going to let that patience and that fruit of the Spirit grow in our lives? That's our choices as mothers. When bad things happen, when death comes, when wrong comes, like it did to Bathsheba, wrong came to her. How do you respond? Because your response really will determine your destiny. What is growing in us in those times? So I, my goal this year, I was going to, I'm going to speak shorter, and I am. I'm going to speak shorter. I've spoke for like 45 or 50 minutes the last few Mother's Days. I will not do it today. We are going to have a shorter message today. But I want to encourage you moms to lift up your heads a little bit higher. Because you have been called by God to raise beautiful little people. And you know what? God didn't call someone else. If you have a hard situation, maybe you have a child. I have a child who is a diabetic, and it is a type 1 diabetic. And it, in their younger years, it is so hard. I know it's harder when they get older as well, but it is so hard. I am awake. Last night, I think I was awake four times giving corrections, trying to get his sugar down. Because for some reason, he was just high all night long. Some nights he's high, some nights he's low. But all nights, I am up at least four times in the night. And... When that first, that challenge first came into our lives, you know, you, you sit there kind of in this shock, like, <gasps> what, is, what is happening? Like, what are we supposed to do with this? You know, and once you process through that and get to the next season, now it's become more of a, okay, Lord, you're building something really deep inside of me. And that character and those things, every day as we face this, every day it's just getting a little bit deeper, a little bit stronger. And so maybe you have a child that's hard. You know, there's, there's families that have children that have all kinds of different disabilities, all kinds of different struggles. Every family has its own challenge. And you as a mother, you have your own challenges with your children. 
But please remember, God did not give those children to someone else. He gave them to you because you are enough. And God would not have given that situation or that child to you if he didn't know that you were strong. And I'm always a crier. We were laughing before the, during the praise team because, with the praise team, because I cry when I'm happy. I cry when I'm sad. I cry when I'm mad. There's no other response, just tears. <laughs> I don't yell. I just cry. I cry. I cry. Uh, I could be laughing and crying. Sometimes I even cry about the weather, but that's another story. My husband will tease me and be like, oh, it's so sad. Anything that hits me emotionally in any capacity comes out in tears. I don't know. God made me that way. So I am a crier. I do apologize. But you are enough. God would not have given you that child if you weren't enough, if you weren't enough to raise them. And so he's given you a specific set of skills and abilities that you need in order to be the best mother, to really raise that child up, to become what they need to become. And when we pray and we cover our children in prayer, God enables us to lead them in the way that they need to go. So lift those heads up. Because who knows if one of your children was destined for greatness. Be quick to repent. You know, David, he was, he was quick to repent. And God loved what came after. Because the fruit of what comes after could be the most powerful part of your life. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God except our own sin. And when we are quick to repent, he wipes that away and we have free access into his presence. Don't allow bitterness of life to skew your vision. Remember that God sees and God knows. And he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He sees beginning to ending. We see right here. Tunnel vision, this little tiny part, this is what we see. And God's saying from here to here, he sees and he knows. So from the life of Bathsheba, we learn so many things. We see God's grace is threaded through her entire story. You see, God's grace was enough to take them from this place of death and sin to a place of new life in God's favor. And God's grace is still enough for you. Do you know by law, Bathsheba deserved to die? It wasn't her fault. It wasn't her sin. But by law, she could have been stoned for being an adulteress. But God's grace was bigger than that sin and bigger than that situation. So today, if you've never experienced the grace of God, I encourage you to do exactly what David did. Repent. Repentance is simply acknowledging your sins to God and telling him that you are sorry. And if you're new and you've never repented, if you're new to this live stream, you've never repented of your sins, today is a great day to repent because God is waiting. He's earnestly waiting for your repentance to come to you and to do great things and that the fruit of your repentance would be the greatest part of your story. Uh, the Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice when one person repents. And the musicians can come. I'm almost done. God's grace is enough to cover our mistakes and failures and to bring new life to those areas that we see fault in. 
His grace is enough to help us to be the mothers that he desires us to be. It's enough to develop within us the character and the fruit of the spirit that we will need to raise the children he has blessed us with. God has given us everything that we need when we depend on him. So don't let the bitterness and the frustration of whatever season that you're in right now mar what God is intending to do in your life. He wants to form you and he wants to make you into a person that can raise a king, into a person like Bathsheba. Because from every account that we read about her, she is in the middle of what God is doing. So we have to take the bath. We can cry the tears. We can build the character. And then we can raise kings. But you can't raise a king until you develop inside of you the characteristics of a king. And we want to develop within us the characteristics of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So whether you're a mother or not today, we can all pray that God would develop within us his character and his compassion and his love and the fruit of his spirit. That within us there would be joy, within us there would be peace, within us there would be no bitterness, no ugliness, nothing, God. Let's find a place to pray right now. Let's just begin to ask him, God, create in me a clean heart. Like David said when he sinned, renew a right spirit within me, Lord. Let me develop your character in everything that you do, in every situation I face, God. In everything that I go, in everything that you put into my life, Lord, let me not be angry. Let me not be bitter. Let me not be frustrated. But God, instead, develop the character that I need to raise the children that you have called me to raise, to be the person that you have called me to be, God, to grow in the character, the knowledge of you, to grow in your ways and in your plan and in your purpose. Because, God, you see from the far to the end, beginning to ending, Lord, I see such a small part, but you see everything. Lord, you see all that I would need to be and all that, God, my children need to be. Lord, help it to develop inside of me, God. I pray don't let us become angry or frustrated with the situations of life. But, Lord, instead, let it build the people that we need to be. Everything that you bring into our lives, every heartache, every pain, God, every good thing, let it develop the character that you want to develop within us, I pray. Lord, because you love what comes after, you are pleased with what comes after, God. Oh, let us bring up things that can be pleasing to you. Let the fruit of what comes after, God, please you, I pray.
never run. 